Second Kings 16, these are God's words. In the seventeenth year, Pekah, the son of Amaliah, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Elath, and the Edomites went to Elath, and dwelt dwell there to this day. So Ahaz sent message, messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Assyria, and from the hand of the king of Israel, who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of Yahweh, and in the treasuries of the king's house, and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kir, and killed Rezin. Now king Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And king Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern, according to all its workmanship. Then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar. And the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his offering and his grain offering. And he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before Yahweh, from the front of the temple and from between the new altar and the house of Yahweh, and put it on the side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz had commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts, and removed the lavers from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it, and put it on a pavement of stones. Also he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of Yahweh, on account of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. This chapter is full of dreadful wickedness, and one of the reasons it's so dreadful is because of where it takes place. It takes place in Judah. So far we have not seen... Uh, a king of Judah, uh, there was, of course, Athaliah, but we have not seen a king of Judah of whom it said that he did evil in the sight of Yahweh or he did not do 
what was right in the sight of Yahweh that has been reserved for Ahaz. And it's been reserved for Ahaz, who, as we see in the opening verses, uh, has wicked religion that copies three different uh, wicked um, sources. One is the religion of Israel, the apostate and declining church, the religion of the northern kingdom. Uh, the other is the religion of those who were in the land before, whom Yahweh had cast out. And you remember the Lord uh, telling Israel that if they committed the sins of those nations, the Lord would cast them out too. And the other is the religion, the popular religion of the people. You remember uh, we've had several kings who did do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, but they did not do as their fathers, had, Father David had done, because during their days, the people... Uh, still sacrificed on the high places. Uh, but the verbs in verse 4 are singular. It's describing Ahaz now, not just failing to restrain the people, but himself going up to the high places and uh, under every green tree. Uh, and this is a reminder that even a church that has been preserved uh, for many generations, even a family, even a man um, who comes from a line, that has been preserved in faithfulness to God, or comparative faithfulness, we should say, to God for many generations, may fall quickly and may fall greatly uh, in his religion. Uh, we, of course, are uh, conservative Presbyterians, but we come um, from a denomination that almost fell entirely, or we're in a denomination that almost fell entirely, uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, and God mercifully spared it. But we can look around, uh, and we can look at um, other churches, other denominations that are sisters to ours, uh, that are the descendants of a denomination that 150 years ago uh, was far more faithful than any of our current uh, Presbyterian and Reformed denominations. Mm-hmm. In fact, the PCUSA is descended from it. And that's just a few kings worth uh, uh, of time. Uh, and where is the PCUSA now? It is uh, promoting the murder of children and abortion. It is promoting the approval of all manner of perversion. The worship services are even more of an abomination uh, than the worship services of, uh, uh, of the declining Reformed and Presbyterian churches uh, today. Uh, they are... Uh, a great uh, deal like Ahaz, having imitated now in their worship the most apostate churches, incorporating things from the papacy and some of them even things from uh, from other wicked religions, like imitating the things from the people of the land, even to the point of the burning or the murder of babies, just as Ahaz had done. Uh, and also, uh, whatever the people like to do, regardless of whether it is approved of God, uh, incorporating quickly into the worship services, just as Ahaz himself, uh, as the people had liked to do, and the kings had not done in the past, but now Ahaz did, uh, on every green hill, on every high hill, and under every green tree. And so we must not think that our church, or our family, or your own heart, is not susceptible, is not vulnerable to falling into this kind of sin. We have the example here in the Word of God. And we have the example in our own history, very close to us in history. 
the, the PCUSA and the ARP come from the same roots. And in fact, were so still joined together that in the 1950s, uh, that is, in you know when uh, when my mother was one, uh, they published a joint hymnal together, and in 1980 uh, or so, the ARP was on the verge of falling off the cliff, giving up uh, the Word of God. There are many people who have come from Christian families, even families where there was worship, even families where. The mom and dad were fairly consistent. Uh, and yet, uh, one way or another, uh, not that the mom and dad did everything perfectly, but you certainly have not. The children never uh, knew God to be their own God, never dealt with him genuinely during the worship of God, coming, uh, knowing their sin, and knowing that God was bringing them near uh, through the blood of the Lord Jesus and rejoicing in the forgiveness that they get from him and the life and the holiness that they get by his spirit, rejoicing that they know God and that they may worship him and being renewed in, in loving him who has loved them and wanting to live out of that love. So it's what we need to do every time we worship together, every, uh, every time you worship privately, because this is what those who are alive in Christ do. And if you don't, you don't have to give yourself life from Christ, which is something you can't do anyway. But God the Holy Spirit will, and he can. And you seek it from him, and we'll pray it for you. And uh, if um, uh, if you want to be sure of, uh, of him, and sure that you are his, and uh, you come to me, uh, come to your mom, uh, Talk to us. We will pray with you. We will pray for you. We will help you. We will seek the Lord's face together that he would keep us from falling. Uh, for we see in uh, Ahaz not just wicked religion, but also wicked faith. He goes to Syria. He either sees a Syrian altar, uh, which he might think, you know, they fell at last, but they sure were tough to get rid of. It took Assyria to get rid of them. Their gods are pretty strong. Um, or maybe he just liked the design or whatever. It's something in, in the, about the altar in Damascus after Assyria has fallen um, appeals to him. Or it could be something that Tiglath-Pileser has already erected and set up as an Assyrian altar in the place of the Syrian gods who had failed uh, and the gods of the people who had won now uh, get to have their worship set up, whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's irrational and wicked. And yet he, not having faith in the Lord who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, he, he hedges his bets, as they say. Uh, he thinks, I'll just take some from every religion. Uh, in Second Chronicles 28, where uh, the parallel about Ahaz's reign is, uh, is found, it says he filled Jerusalem with altars. You just, I'll take a little bit of this, and I'll take a little bit of that, and uh, everything has some, uh, some wisdom in it, some spirituality. People would have considered him a great man of faith. Oh, he's such a spiritual king. Look at how he has increased acts of faith and worship. That's not how the Bible sees it, is it? We shouldn't rejoice over all of the faith or all of the religiosity 
that we see in the nation or in the church. It's not all good. They say, oh, well, they're sincere. Yes, that's the problem. It's sin sincere evil is bad. And so he has wicked religion and wicked faith and, of course, wicked worship. As we've already described, the, the new altar that he gets, and he moves the bronze altar. Uh, it says he puts the bronze altar on the north. You enter from the east. So what that means is in the place where the bronze altar was right by you, you would have the altar from Damascus, and the bronze altar would be behind it. But he, but he tells Uriah or Uriah, the priest, you know, make sure you leave it there, just in case I need to inquire. And so he's including Yahweh worship. He hasn't abandoned Yahweh worship. He's just added all these other things to it. So this is actually a man who prays to Yahweh. Well, we tend to read something like 2 Kings 16 and say, oh, well, this guy has left the Lord for other gods, which is how the Lord sees it when we pray to him, but also trust in other things, delight in other things. Redesign, which is exactly what he does, isn't it? He uh, gets rid of the panels of the carts. He removes the labors from the carts, you remember, mm -hmm. with the expansion from the tabernacle to the temple. You know, there was the wash basins, and we just heard preaching uh, on uh, the wash basins. Uh, and so you had the great big sea that was uh, on the oxen, um, and that was the great washing, but all of the carts that were used to uh, attend the, the temple mount uh, each one of them had a labor for washing with the reminder of our sinfulness before God and the, the need for him to cleanse us and all those wonderful things we heard from Exodus in the evening sermon this week. And, oh, we don't need any those anymore. <laughs> we no longer have a sense of our sin. We no long, longer have a sense of the holiness of Yahweh. It's time for some remodeling. We need to freshen up our worship. This is old and and stodgy and traditional and boring for the people. They'd really like something new. He even brings the sea down off the backs of the oxen, and who knows why entirely. I mean, if you're going to add a great big swimming pool to the Temple Mount, then you know, that's a, an attraction, right? Everybody likes to advertise the swimming pool. But on account of the king of Assyria, the new hip ruler of the world, you know, he's joining the new modern order of things. Come on, let's get the church contemporary. Ahaz is probably very proud of all of these changes that he made. Very pleased with himself for the creativity that he brought to the worship of Yahweh, incorporating all these other things. After all, there's all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of people, aren't there? Even in, in Presbyterian and Reformed denominations today, read some of what their celebrity pastors write. And they're writing against the regular principle and talking about how you know God has uh, given wisdom and creativity in, in many different areas to many different types of people. And uh, We shouldn't reject an idea out of hand just because the person who had it wasn't saved. You see the way that we can think. If we lose the sense of the greatness of God's redemption because we've lost the sense of the greatness of our sin and we've lost the holiness of God, and his exclusivity, his greatness, his justice. And every one of us is susceptible. Every one of us is vulnerable. We don't read this and we say, and say, huh, I'm glad I'm not like that. That could never happen to me. We say, thank you, Lord, that thus far you have helped me.
please, by your mercy, grant that that would never happen to me. Grow me in Christ. Make me to love your holiness more. Make me to rejoice over uh, your saving me from my sin more. Make me see the hatefulness of my sin more. For if we are not growing in grace, then we may not be in grace at all. Yes, there are times uh, of backsliding and doubt and coldness in a Christian's life. But on the whole, the Christian grows. And that's what we should seek from him. Because he hasn't just saved us so that we would arrive at the place that we are. He has saved us so that we would be conformed at last to Christ, the great king, whom obviously Judah needed. For even if you have a Josiah, you don't have what you need. But here they just had an Ahaz. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the warnings that you had for us in this passage. And we pray that you would grant to us the active working of your spirit, that we would have a genuine and right heart and life towards you, and that you would give us an increasing sense and understanding of the hatefulness of sin and especially of false worship, and uh, an increasing and genuine sense of your holiness. And most of all, that you'd make us to rejoice over what you have done for us in Christ, that we would know your forgiveness and your righteousness in him, and that we would love and glorify you for his name's sake. Grant these things by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.